0: Welcome to the Fleming Foundation series, The Best Revenge, where we discuss tips on living well. Today we're coming to you from scenic lake country, Sawyer County in northwestern Wisconsin. We're joined by the founder of the Fleming Foundation, Dr. Thomas Fleming, and his son, Garrett, who is a Culinary Institute of America graduate, a chef, and successful restaurateur in Washington, D.C. Join us as we discuss bringing home the bacon.
1: Well, we're here on beautiful Grindstone Lake. Garrett and I got up fishing at uh, 5.30 while someone lay in bed till about 8.00 but we won't mention who that was. And of course we were rewarded for our heroism in going out by not catching a single fish. And uh, it looks like it's brewing up a storm today. But uh, The title of this show, Bringing Home the Bacon, uh, gives away a little bit of the story because we're going to be talking about pork and bacon. Garrett, you know, you for a couple of years uh, ran the kitchen. You were a head chef of a restaurant called Pig, right? Yep. And so presumably, presumably, I I don't want to count too too much on anything. Presumably, you know something about bacon. And, uh, and pork meat where, where does this term bringing home the bacon come from anyway
2: sure so uh, very long time ago in protestant times uh, when a man was said to bring home the bacon uh, it meant that he had not argued with his wife for a year and a day and if he could say that in front of his congregation the church would reward him with an entire side of bacon and so anybody that actually brought home the bacon, I can't imagine too many people did, uh, was highly esteemed in his community.
1: Well, that's very touching. Uh, this assumes that women are difficult to get along with. <laughs> yeah. Wives, anyway. Yes, wives. You need bribing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Um, what is bacon, anyway?
2: Well, bacon is, depending on what country you're from, uh, the cured and either smoked or not smoked back of the bacon. The word bacon actually comes from French and German words for the word back. Uh, has, you know, I think it's something like back, B A double K, or something like that. Um, you can get there a couple of different ways. All sorts of cultures do something. Even uh, Apicius had something called uh, potasso, which could be the precursor to tasso ham but it was a cured uh, shoulder uh, that kind of goes into the back, portion of the pig that you would cure and then you would cook it with figs and honey and all sorts of strange things, Um, very old school Roman. Uh, But curing pieces of pig, which is essentially what what bacon is, cured pig, goes back even further. It's one of the first things that was ever kind of cured because it, it naturally, because of the fat content of a pig, is very easy to cure. So like salt drying and Salt drying, salt yeah, drying. Yeah.
1: Presumably, this is not in. Uh, is not found in the Pentateuch. Uh, uh, there's no recipe right, in the right, Old right. Testament for uh, for making bacon. No, no, no. Yes. no, no. But uh, did, did the, the Egyptians do they have do they have the
2: curing They found they found historical remnants of curing pig. I think it goes back uh, 15 B.C. 1500 BC. 1500 BC. Yeah, so huh. that's it's well, old enough. I don't know I don't know where where they found this evidence, but if it goes back ancient Roman times, it goes back even further than that. The um, So what when
1: Americans think of bacon, they think very specifically of this th- usually thin sliced sure. smoked salted breakfast product. Is this is this universe? Is this around the world? Is that what bacon is?
2: No. So uh, in the UK, um, you know, several hundred years ago, uh, clearly they were curing things, and bacon was a big one because it lasts a long time. Only the finest bacon's were smoked, so usually it was more like more like fat back, um, mm-hmm. which was you know taken on pirate trips and all that. Was salt pork, uh, but you know nicer. Nicer forms of that ended up being smoked, and uh, to this day, actually, if you talk about bacon in the UK in uh, in Canada, it's usually an un- unsmoked product. Yes, um, like Canadian bacon, uh, right? Which okay. is not actually bacon, no. but they still call yeah. it Canadian bacon. Uh, but they when you call when you, if you just call it bacon and not Canadian bacon, yeah. it is still pork belly. Um, so even though most bacon is made from the belly, it's if you understand the anatomy of a pig, it's. It reaches up to the back. So, on the back, there's fat back, which you can tell the quality of a pig usually by the the color of its fat, the intensity of the myoglobin, uh, which just means how red the flesh is. And it, the more fat back, generally speaking, the thicker, pure white fat back, the, the healthier and happier that pig was. So, commodity pigs from Smithfield, usually, even though they're much much larger than you know, they're butchered at several hundred pounds. Uh, a 200-pound pig that's raised on a happy, happy hippie farm usually has it much more fat back, uh, and so it's going to yield a, a better result overall. Mm. But that's fat back, and that can be referred to as bacon. Even, etymologically speaking, that's the back of the pig. But bacon is usually made from the belly. They both connect. They all connect. So if you take the rib cage out, you have the back and the belly connected. Hmm. What? What should it?
1: What's the difference, say, uh, between American bacon and the Italian pancetta, which is a, which is a belly meat?
2: Right. Uh, well, that's just uh, they're aromatics. There's aromatics used in our bacon. Mm-hmm. America's definitely taken bacon. Uh, we've done a lot of horrible things to it, but we've also done some really great things. Um, the addition of you know things in the South like black molasses and sorghum to kind of get the, the intensity the, the contradistinction between sweet and salty uh, it's a really nice addition that we've kind of added that uh, other countries haven't and Italians um, Italians have pancetta, which is a cured, very aromatic one so there's a lot of juniper, rosemary uh, uh, and it's not smoked and it, usually it's rolled into uh you roll the belly up you cure it a little bit and then you roll it up and then you hang it uh like a piece of charcuterie i mean bacon is a form of charcuterie but um so you you'll see oftentimes pancetta is is circle slices right and that's because it's the belly that's been rolled up and you know knotted up very very tightly and so as it cures it shrinks and shrinks and then you can actually uh, if you do it well enough you can cut off circular slices
1: when uh, when i first started cooking italian food I I would replace pancetta, which you couldn't get usually where we lived, and I would just use bacon, and the result was interesting, but wrong, that is because of the smoky and saltier flavor in bacon, and uh, I tried blanching it, and that helped a little bit, but essentially, pancetta just... It's a much subtler, a much less, you know, over-the-top uh, flavor.
2: One of my favorite recipes that we did growing up was uh, was the pasta alla matriciana, yeah. which uses pancetta. But I've because I've u- utilized the smoked bacon so many times in that recipe, I actually think. Much like the addition of black molasses to bacon in the United States, it's a delicious recipe now. Yeah, with the smoked bacon, with the pancetta, it's good. I love it with the smokiness of the bacon, but in some things, it's too much, and sometimes yeah. the smoke will ruin things.
1: With the um, with that particular recipe, I've gone back to using bacon because I've had it in Italy with guanciale, which yeah, is yeah, a it, yeah. which is a smoked cheek meat. It's the jowl, yeah, yeah, you know, jowl. smoked jowls, huh? and. Um, and it's a it's a it's a it's a village dish. I mean, it's not a it's 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 popular in, in uh, downtown Rome, but but still, it starts out I think as a more of a country dish and and really a rougher, more robust uh, smoked product. I think I think makes it taste better.
2: I think it, when it when you have delicious San Marzano tomatoes, the smokiness doesn't get, it doesn't eat up the product. If you use garbage tomatoes, then all you'll taste is the smoke and the bacon. But if you have you know, strength of flavor coming from other areas, it's a nice balance. We uh, talked,
1: uh, I made a joke earlier about the lack of bacon recipes in the Old Testament, and often when people say they don't want to eat pork, they'll, they'll refer to uh, the Jewish prohibition on, uh, on eating pork and say that it was because pigs, unless they're very carefully raised, are an unhealthy animal. But that's basically not true, I don't think.
2: Pigs are—it it, depends. When you look at a pig, if you go to one of these happy hippie farms, which you know, hippies can be disgusting people, but when you go to their farms, as opposed to a factory farm, yeah, you will see them—you know—wallowing in the mud, and you'll yeah. see flies around there, you know, around there, and you'll say, "Oh, well, that's a dirty animal." But in reality, they're—they're they're not. That's—they—they they roll around in mud and muck because it keeps them cool. And,
1: yeah,
2: uh, they're one of the most Socially intelligent animals, um,
1: but they're not especially disease prone. I no, mean, the, compared, no, no. compared with cows and sheep, pigs don't seem to be as as disease prone, or nor are their diseases particularly communicable to human beings. Right. Yeah. So uh, the the uh, I read a book once called um, I think it's called uh, I don't know, purity and danger. By uh, an anthropologist named Mary Douglas, who I believe was at University Northwestern in Chicago, and she said that uh, kosher laws, and which can be parallel all around the world in various cultures, that prohibitions on eating certain foods rarely has any health significance or culinary significance whatsoever. Just every society divides uh, divides the world up according to categories you know black and white, uh, light and heavy, odd and even, and uh, the more rational and scientific the community, uh, the more rational and scientific these these divisions are going to be so you get you get for example the, the Greek Pythagoreans which have um, odd and even plus and minus you know they had all of these different qualities light and dark and they were all kind of, they were all you know uh all 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 would one excuse me one group would fall into one category and the other group into the other so wetness and darkness and odd numbers were all equated which when the uh for the uh Old Testament Jews they divide uh, animals into, for example, do they have legs or not? Do they swim in the sea or do they walk on land? And do, do they chew the cud? Do they divide the hoof? And when, uh, when an animal fits into two categories, it becomes an anomaly and therefore taboo. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, lobsters live in the ocean. Well, you're supposed to swim if you live in the ocean, but lobsters have legs and walk. So a lobster can be viewed. Therefore, as not kosher. It's taboo, and the pig, you know, which what it uh, it divides the hoof but does not chew the cud, mm-hmm. so it's not a cow, and it's not a you know, and it's not a goat. It's not, so it doesn't fit into any category. Therefore, it is off limits. And there's no there's no health reason. There's no no other reason. It's just that's the way they structured their world. But what about uh, what about trichinosis? That that I grew up. My mother always had to cook. Cook pork to like 175 degrees because there were these deadly parasites living in the pork, right? One one of the
2: funniest things to hear now is when people say, "Oh well, well now you can eat pork." And uh, I read it the other day. The U.S. you know Health Department came out. USDA says that you can eat medium rare pork chop. So. It's all good. As if something's changed within the pork community that all of a sudden they used to be dirty animals and rife with sickness and trichinosis, and now we've solved the problem and you can eat them at a different temperature. But the reality is we haven't we haven't had a case of trichinosis in the United States for for decades. And when it does happen, it, it's it ha, it. Well, when it did happen, it wasn't a case of pain. Um In Thailand, they eat a dish called lob which is, you know, minced, it was originally minced chicken, raw chicken that they would, uh, or, or pork, they use duck, they've used pork, they, but originally the dish is served with chicken, and you mince it up, and you put some chilies in it, and some fish sauce, and a little bit of lime, and then you put some toasted rice on top. Now, every year, people do die from eating this stupid chicken dish, because chickens are not pork. <laughs> And there's a reason, but you know, there's a reason for that. You know, I appreciate, you know, the USDA not saying, you know, chicken is okay to eat medium rare. Because, you know, chickens are different than pigs. Yeah. But it, it, we've known about this for decades. And yet it was, what, five years ago that they finally yeah. made yeah. a ruling? Yeah. That's so. And people still, we're still seeing the effect. People yeah. still, well, I like my pork chop. I, even mom. Mom, yeah. I like my pork yeah. chop. Well done.
1: I've been eating, because of the, uh, the, the American pork producers are sort of... Ruined pork to some extent by trying always trying to make it leaner and leaner, and therefore, uh, the leaner the pork, the rarer. Virtually, you have to cook it. Yeah. You know, if you've got nice fatty pork butt, which you can still get, uh, that you can cook until it's falling apart, and you've still got enough fat in it. But, but, but a lean pork loin, that's that's very hard to cook if you overcook it.
2: We're probably about ten years out. They 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 bred. They bred out all the fattiness in the uh, commercial pigs that the majority of... oh Anything you buy at the grocery store, save a super hippie grocery store, is going to be coming from one of these massive farms. And that they've bred out uh, all the kind of fat from pigs, and it took them about 30 years to do. And it will take them... Clearly, they, they started going back because they realized you know pork sales plummeted, yeah. and then uh, America kind of woke up to its its own history and realized that you know we do we can figure out how to cook things that don't come from a can, and so there's this been this insistence on you know getting fat back into the pig, and so they've been working on it probably a decade, but it's still going to take another decade before it has the same fat content, something similar to what it was 40 years ago, or which is even nicer that people are going people are going out to farms and they're buying you know they're buying organically raised you know pat you know pasture friendly pigs that are that are roaming around and they're getting heritage breed pigs the old townworth are coming back uh, uh, big big whites big blacks uh, there's there's a whole verbiage now of speaking of these heritage breed pigs which are you know they haven't been affected because they weren't raised to be lean these these pigs of course they cost more money and they're they're coming from different areas the Mangalista pig from Eastern Europe which is pretty big now in the charcuterie community and, and a, kind of the pig community altogether they look have you ever seen a mangalista pig no they're're they're big, big furry pigs that have a lot of hair on them so they're very they're beautiful in their own way but they're they're very dissimilar to almost all other pigs just because they have an incredible amount of hair um, but they have they have nice fat content they have i mean that's another thing it's Pig people talk a lot about fat content of breeds, and I don't necessarily believe... I mean, if you take two pigs from two different breeds, one is supposedly supposed to have a good fat content. Um, Reality is that how you raise that pig is going to determine its fat content more so than any sort of genetic disposition it has towards being fat. Hmm. So if you want a nice fatty piece of pig, then it is. It, It behooves you to go... Go find a farmer. See if he's raising these heritage breed pigs. Uh, see how they're being raised. Are they are they you know are they in a cage or are they yeah. being out? Are they allowed to eat whatever they want? You know, that's going to determine the overall fat content on your pig.
1: When, when we lived in um, South Carolina, we lived in uh, where you were born, uh, in a little town of McClellanville, and we had friends, and they had raised a pig. And uh, the, the husband, who came from New York State and was all, felt he was always being sort of high-hatted by his wife's family, who had a lot of good old South Carolina blood in them. And, uh, and, and they were all, the wife's family were de- de- descended from a Dr. Baker, who was a prominent local person in the community. And so uh, our friend uh, Bob named the pig Baker. <laughs> and they would take they would take this pig for a walk well, yeah. like, well, once or twice a week, and they'd come by and visit us with the pig grunting along behind them. And the pig, we, you know, we lived on a dirt road and we had a dirt driveway, and the pig would come up and start relieving itself in the driveway. And you could have three rainstorms, and still the memory of the pig was quite fresh. <laughs> but uh, later on, uh, it was it was nice to uh, they'd have us to dinner, and we could eat baker, oh. but uh, I've never asked his mother-in-law how she felt about this, as she was a formidable lady that you probably better not bring up the subject. Well, where, where, is it, where are some of the best pigs raised in the world? I mean, you hear about Spanish hams. Are those made from special pigs?
2: I bet those are Iberian pigs. Uh, those, are very, those are highly lauded. Uh, the pigs in Parma are mm-hmm. highly lauded. But in the United States, again, uh, we're, we're not bringing up the rear anymore there's yeah. some there's a great farm La lequerecha in Iowa there's all sorts of small farms and, and, and they're mimicking a lot of the places are mimicking the conditions that made the famous the famous the famous spanish ham so they're 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 eating acorns they're, yeah. they're raising them there was a lady up in Maine when i was chefing up in Maine uh, barbara who ran a farm called bagaduce farms it was right on the bagaduce a little island and she had, you know, a couple dozen pigs, and they would run around. And there are all these oak trees, and they would eat acorns. And yeah. they would, that would be a heavy portion of what they eat. And not surprisingly, her pigs were some of the most delicious I've ever eaten.
1: It's interesting in the uh, in the ancient world, they uh, when when a, if a poet or a writer wants to imagine how man lived in the golden age, it was his he had pigs. I, I think you get this in Virgil's Georgics. The pigs are living in the oak forest, and you don't have to feed them. Yeah. They're, eat, they're, they're eating the acorns. And uh, I feel quite sure this must have still been common during the Roman Empire, feeding the pigs largely on acorns, because they're free. Because mm-hmm. humans rarely eat acorns. You can make a flower out of it, but it's, you know, it's not a big uh, food product.
2: Well, they fed the... Uh, they, fed the they would fed, feed the geese uh, figs in Rome. to fatten them up, uh, which they stole from the Egyptians to make foie gras. And that's, I can't imagine anybody doing that now just for the cost of figs. You pay like $6 for a little pint of them.
1: Well, except if you you live in South Carolina where everybody has a fig tree for ornamental purposes in the yard, but then they produce hundreds of figs. And so people say, what am I, and and they lie on the ground rotting, and people won't eat them and And I've known people this is how this is how crazy a cultural prejudice can be. You know, figs are for poor people. Mm-hmm. so uh, black people will make fig jam out of them. but also, uh, I knew people who would take the figs and add strawberry jello and pretend it was strawberry jam. now this is fig jam is an exquisite product. like for example, the the, the the marmalata in Italy the the, the made uh, out of the figs is one of their top you know uh, pro, you know products to put on bread or toast. Well, in South Carolina, people have all these fig trees. Mm. So, so what you need to do is to have somebody raising goose geese yeah. to go to go down to South Carolina or Georgia. We have a friend who every year he he he'll bring us jars, you know, quart jars of pig preserves, because <clears throat> there's an old black woman in his neighborhood and by the way this, this, this man is an, in, an infamous bigot <laughs> but he feels he owes it to the black lady to always buy her he'll buy up boxes he'll buy her whole stock up of fig preserves but then he has to put them in the trunk of his car and drive around giving them away <laughs> you know life is peculiar you know there's an, uh, in the Balkans the Serbs were famous for their pig farming
2: uh, I don't know about today. Their, they're very famous. Uh, the Serbs and, and and that section of Eastern Europe is where where the Mangalista's come from. Yeah, and they're known for uh, their ham's over there.
1: One of the um, and they they love their cured uh, meat products. They of course they love the, the, the one of their favorite uh, pieces of charcuterie is the is the lard, which mm-hmm. the Italians call lardo and uh, the French call la, I guess it's just lard, mm-hmm. but. Um, which is which is a fine-grained pork fat with only the faintest hint of pink in it.
2: That's it's the fat back.
1: yeah. So, and yeah. then it's rolled, often rolled in crushed pepper or anise seed. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're going out for a night of drinking, you know you you stu- you eat a lot eat a lot of the lard before going out and piling down the shtibovetsa.
2: You can. Uh, it's a nice spread if you get some cured lard. In the same way, you cure it very similar to bacon, but uh, or just simply aromatic salt, a little sugar, and then sometimes not even sugar. If you, if you grind it uh, and then whip it into a paste, you get this mm. very light aromatic spread that you can put on. Which is on essentially bread. pork fat. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> your <pork> delicious, fat. <laughs> light, airy pork fat. <laughs> the,
1: yeah, uh, you know, in the in the 19th century, uh, Serbia was famous for its uh, for its farming because you know they had no modern methods. They were still very old-fashioned farmers. As even during the during the embargo, during the, the, the breakup of Yugoslavia, you know they did, they couldn't get any gas. Only only gangsters were driving cars. Gangsters, often in the police and the military, but gangsters nonetheless. And the, but if you went driving down a Serbian highway, what you saw were farmers with horse-drawn carts, and they had gone back to horse farming. I mean, the farming, but they had got the old plows and things out of out of the barns and they were raising terrific vegetables because impor- they import—they weren't importing fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Everything was this traditional method. And so this is how the pigs were raised and how they always were raised and why, for example, uh, Serbia was half the time on the edge of war with the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But uh, a lot of it had to do with the, the Austrians loved the Serbian pork and so they put, they put a tariff on it though and so the, the this is this is called the Pig War, because oh. the, you know there was actual armed conflict.
2: I thought you were talking <laughs> about what's going on in the United States right now with the cops. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. different no. type, I guess. But uh, but the but. The, the, one of the reasons I so love eating meat in the Balkans, both lamb and pork meat, is because a lot of it has been raised in very pre-modern ways. They're, they're living off vegetable scraps. They're living off uh, you know, their, their rooting. And uh, when you eat, for example, you go into the mountains of Bosnia and Herzegovina, the, 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 the lambs up there are eating... Gra- grasses and herbs on the hillside, but thyme grows wild there. Mm-hmm. So they're grazing just by nature. They're grazing on herbs and you wouldn't even put garlic on this. I mean, you don't want garlic or pepper, much less any herbs. Just a little salt and the the, the flesh of the, of the meat is so aromatic. It's wonderful.
2: With chickens, uh, when, when you see an egg that's got that You would never describe it as orange so much as red. Yeah, that's right. Deep, dark color. You know those chickens have got that creatine concentration from eating bugs. And so that means that they're going out, digging in the dirt, and eating bugs. In addition to whatever they're being fed, these aren't just feed chickens. Feed chickens will give you that very light yellow because they're not getting... The, the, these concentrate. It's just well, they are you know, like salmon eating shrimp. You yeah, can't. Well, you're not going to get that color unless they're eating the, the things in the water. Commercial chickens, they're,
1: they're being they're nutritionally starved. For example, when you crack an egg and it doesn't take any effort because the eggshell almost falls apart right. in your hand, they haven't had enough calcium in their diet. Mm-hmm. When we raised chickens, and it was a sort of laughable operation, the only people who raised chickens who were more trifling than us were our neighbors, Billy, Billy and Lil Baldwin, and. Their chickens finally got so desperate that they moved across the street into into our ch- into our chicken yard. But uh, we fed them. And actually, we bought scratch feed, but we fed them uh, a lot of vegetable parings. You know, the what's left over from when you clean the broccoli, the asparagus, oh, and we had a big garden. And we would sometimes put them in a in a fairly loft, substantial cage with no bottom, and we would move it around the garden, and they would eat everything. You know, in you know, from last year's crops and things, everything that's left over, and leave behind a rich manure deposit. So those those chickens, those eggs were like the the, the shells were like made of steel, mm-hmm. and the yolks were red. So we we really ate nothing but the f- uh, first class uh, chicken and eggs. But um, let's talk a little bit about. Where can you get, if, if you're not going out to a farm to get bacon, where can you buy good bacon? Are there good brands?
2: So there's, a, there's an operation, uh, one of the most famous operations, at least among among the chefs, is uh, it's actually a commodity pig uh, operation in Tennessee, uh, Alan Benton. Benton's hams and Benton's bacons are renowned uh, in the culinary world. Uh, one, he's been doing the same operation consistently for an extremely long time. He's doing it up to kind of old American standards that he learned from his dad, and it's been passed on. And the smoke that you get on his product is unbelievable. It's uh, they are commodity pigs. So, so what I mean by commodity is I mean they're not these hippie raised yeah. uh, happy pigs. Um, but th- what he does to them is is really unmatched. The amount of smoke you get on a piece of Benton's bacon or Benton's ham is unbelievable how would you buy this you look up on the internet alan benton uh and they he's 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 one of the night he's even after all these big name chefs have, have used them and every every middle name chef or every low-end chef he still calls you know your restaurant at during christmas time and he'll say you know just want to call you up and thank you for you know all your business really appreciate it he's one of the most gentlemanly kind of old southern guys i've ever had the the pleasure of talking to uh, and you can, you know, the funny, I was at, a, at Union Market in D.C., which is a very large uh, kind of hipster venue now with lots of organic grocery stores and stuff like that. But uh, I, I was at a butcher, and I saw something like six ounces of Benton's ham that they, were, they had, you know, Alan Benton's famous ham, and it was $26, something ridiculous. When you can contact Benton's Ham and pay about seven to eight dollars a pound for whole smoked hams, uh, but because he's got the name and people have heard of him now, that uh, you know people are, people, are, I, I can't imagine that he would really agree with that kind of pricing. Um, but yeah, look at, uh, I've I've never gone online and seen if they have an online shop. Yeah. Uh, but it's very affordable. His products are very affordable, and you don't have to deal with you know the artisanal hippies that. One, aren't particularly well, well-versed well in the craft. Yeah. Um, if you don't, that, that, if you're going to look um, for, for at least bacon, Alan Benton's is a great product. Uh, there's also, um, I guess generically speaking, as a, uh, there's also new skis, which is, I don't like as much. It's another commodity pig product. Uh, it's not as much smoke, but it's it's ten times better than anything you're mm-hmm. going to get at the grocery store. Um, then outside of that, there's... Uh, what's her name? The uh, There's the ham lady in Kentucky. Very famous ham lady. Um, if I remember it, I'll remember. But I think she does bacon. Uh, you ever dealt with a company, I, th- I think they're in Alabama, called Harper's? I do know Harper's. Yeah. Harper's is a, a, good, yeah. good. Not, to, not great, to, but good.
1: Yeah. We used to order... Uh, country ham from them. It's not as good as country ham you get from a small producer, but it was still, I mean, it was so much better than anything
2: we could get in a store. Newsom's. Uh, Newsom's Newsom's is the ham lady, and she has excellent cured hams. I think she has bacon, Uh, but she's, uh, I think it's named, uh, uh, maybe, um, it's, uh, it's named after a man. It must be her father or something, but it's the lady that runs the operation. She has some of the nicest hams in the business, and again, you can pick up the phone and call her, and they're renowned. Uh, besides that, there's a, I, I can go on hams all day. On hams, there's a, there's a nice, very delicious ham that's relatively affordable, unless you go through the wrong circuits, called Suriana. Mm. As in a play on Serrano ham, which yes, is a very right. famous, and it's from Surrey, Virginia. Huh. And there, as for Virginia hams, that's one of my. It, it's it shaves like prosciutto, mm. and it's rich in color. It's not too salty. It's very excellent stuff. Well, we'll
1: save the ham discussion for our for okay. <laughs> a ham a ham episode. Bacon,
2: bacon, I would I would stick. I would look up Newsom's, and I would I would start with Alan Benton. We uh by the way we'll put uh we'll, we'll we'll do
1: we'll do a little bit of our homework and we'll put the information you know mm-hmm. uh, of, on our website so that subscribers to the podcast and and as a general rule to all four of our podcast series we're going to have uh, information and links to help uh help you because these shows are very informal, and we're not sitting here. This isn't like Car Talk, where they're sitting in front of a computer, cheating, right. you know, looking up the answers as people call in. Uh, we're we're not looking anything up. This is just free flowing conversation. What about cooking bacon? If you take, let's say, just an average, decent American bacon product from
2: the store, is there any secret to how to how to fry bacon? Um. Well, it depends. It all depends on how you cut it. Well, there's two things. What kind of bacon yeah. is it? When we make bacon, I have a lot. I finish it with a lot of black molasses, mm-hmm. and because of that, the sugar on the outside will burn before the proteins cook. So you can't cook it as high as you would bacon that wasn't finished with that hot, lot of brown sugar and black yeah. molasses. Most bacon's finish with brown sugar. So you, after you cure it, then you pack it in brown sugar or whatever, and then you smoke it. But this stuff, um, if you do as much as, as I do, then you'll have to clearly go lower. But if you're talking a, a, a general, like Benton's bacon. Yeah. Um, Benton's bacon, you know, uh, if you get it pre-sliced, then they're going to slice it a certain thickness. Uh, you know, low, medium heat, and just pay attention to it. Yeah. Uh, and actually, medium, 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 high heat. Uh, you know, turn the pieces over once they brown, and pay attention. Uh, if you're in a restaurant or you want to cheat and be lazy, then you can lay down on a sheet tray at 425 degrees, um, pop it in the oven. My issue with that is sometimes you render off a little bit too much fat. Yeah. But uh, if you pay attention to it, uh, and if it's sitting in the fat, even though it, it will take longer to brown, but it will brown more evenly. Um, if you do it high enough, 425, 450, it shouldn't take you know 12 minutes in an oven. 10, 12 minutes, maybe 8. depends on your oven, again. 8 to 12 minutes if you're paying attention to it, depending on the thickness. Uh, That's the lazy way to get nice, crispy, evenly cooked bacon.
1: We've tried over the years. We've done a lot of uh, bacon in the oven. I frankly, I like it, but I prefer pan-cooked bacon, I find.
2: The only reason I don't like it outside of not looking and looking at it the entire time and getting to smell it and touch it is that <laughs> if you've ever if you've ever had to throw away a sheet tray of bacon because you left it in the in the oven too yeah. long you're not want, you're you want to not do that again yeah because that's a very sad thing well a lot of times
1: when we've done it uh, that when we've done bacon in the oven a lot of times we do render much too much of the fat yeah. and it, it it becomes sort of dry yeah. Whereas, I did, higher, yeah. you you like you like your bacon almost limp, for, you know, just nah, bursting I, like, it,
2: I, I It depends on what kind of bacon it. Is. If it's on a BLT, I like it crispy. You know, if it's if it's if I'm looking at a piece of bacon to judge it on quality, I will cut it a little thicker, and then I want to again with you know the bacon that I make it it, bec- it gets this crumbly texture. From the way it's been cured and so it, it's you you can get it crispy but you can also have it literally melt in your mouth the fat and then the lean crumbles not in a dry way but in this beautiful kind of cured meat way hmm is it
1: safe to say that the average uh, intelligent cook at home is probably better off not trying to make his own bacon
2: I absolutely disagree with that Bacon's one of the easiest things to make uh,
1: yeah, you told me that about uh, what was it? Uh, you, 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 you about sausage? And before, you know, I went out and I bought this. I bought this kit. I had sausage
2: is a finicky monster. I had monster. sausage
1: cape. I, I got the, the the attachment for the the gr- meat grinder. Well, that's the other. The, yeah. All it By the time I finished reading the instructions, you know, after two hours, the I, kitchen. I realized aid. I am not doing this. If
2: you use a KitchenAid, then it's a pain in the ass. If you want to invest hundred and twenty dollars on a five-pound sausage stuff. And get a real meat grinder for a hundred dollars. It's pretty easy. If you want to get a KitchenAid attachment, I've always hated the KitchenAid attachments. They well, they it too burn. The, first of all, they the, the, the meat, you yeah. and it break the sausage. We will never. We too won't. Small. We
1: don't. We used to always buy a KitchenAid product because in the old days they were at least good. Yeah. But now the the engines are too small. They burn out easily. Yeah. So we we bought what is it a Viking or whatever?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. It's um, got a loud so motor, but it's a pretty. It's good loud, thing. Yeah. but
1: I mean it really. You know, it, it chugs along. It's got something like three times the horsepower of
2: a comparably priced uh, KitchenAid, so. But even with, bacon is not, bacon doesn't take <laughs> a 10th of the time. I mean, it takes much longer in, the, in if, but most of that time the it is waiting. You know, it's not, uh, and it's not dang, you don't, you don't age it uh, in, a, in an ambient temperature. It's not like, you know, something difficult like hams where you have to pay attention to humidity and, and, uh, and temperature. Uh, it's, it's very, very easy. Would you like a recipe? We'll put it, give us the most sure.
1: basic description and then we can we can actually put a recipe up on the website. So
2: you wanna get a nice pork belly. Uh, to do this, I, I prefer skin on, uh, skin on pork bellies. You don't need the skin. Where am I gonna get a pork belly? You can go to your local butcher. Your butcher is going to carry, particularly in the day, about five years ago, the most in cut to kind of cook was pork belly in a, in a restaurant. Braised pork belly, you know, uh, slow roasted pork belly because it's a very tender cut if you cook it the right. If you cook it for long enough, so outside of bacon, people have been uh, demanding pork belly in any mid-range city for not even yeah. a city, Rockford, Illinois yeah. is, definitely has pork belly. The other thing is uh, the immigrant community, any city, uh, Southeast Asian community, Chinese community, they've eaten pork belly forever. So uh, you're going to find it. We probably find it in Hayward. I guarantee you, you can find a piece of, of pork belly. It's not that difficult to get anymore. But you want an entire pork belly. So I would suggest calling your yep. grocery store and saying, I'd like an entire pork belly. Or you could go online and order uh, an entire Berkshire belly. Berkshire is a great uh, American pig that's easy to get. Um, there's the company down that where they kill their animals from a helicopter down in Texas. Uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, once I remember it, I'll, I'll let you know. But th- it's very easy to get a pork belly. You want an entire pork belly. I like mine skin on. You don't need it skin on. If you do get it skin on, you want to remove the hair or singe it if there are any extra hairs. Well, if you're getting it from a, a butcher, he's not going to give you a pork belly with hair on it. Uh, preferably, it should be a nice pork belly because you're spending the time to make your bacon. You should get a high quality and a high quality pig. By that, I mean you should be able to look at it. It shouldn't be, be- the the lean should not be beige. When I pointed out the yeah. bacon that we had the other day, it's not just the the way they cured it, which was crummy, but you could tell it was a commodity pig whose yeah, whose yeah. who's lean is beige. It should be pink pinkish red. That's a that's a higher concentration of myoglobin, indicative of either hooking it up to the back of a car or that they used a nicer quality pig. So get a whole pork belly. Take, uh, I guess, a cup of salt, a cup of sugar. Uh, I don't like to use brown sugar in the cure because I I finish it with brown sugar. Uh, Then you want aromatics so, thyme, rosemary, crushed juniper berries, garlic. So, you want fresh or dried? I like fresh. Uh, You could use dried, but it's a different, you take away from kind of the freshness of the flavor. Um, So, a cup of sugar, a cup of salt, mix it together, put in, uh, uh, if you have access to it, uh, pink salt. Um, TCM tinted curing mixture. Uh, pink salt is a, a concert, it's a it's a, a salt that's used in sausage making and, and curing uh, hams and um, and all sorts of things. There's one and two, uh, or you could just buy something called um, prog salt. Uh, you can get those again from your local butcher, uh, probably, or you can order it online through uh, Amazon. Just mm-hmm. look up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, curing curing salt, pink curing salt. Uh, you don't need it necessarily. It's done to prevent, uh, you know, against botulism and things like that. Um, also, it concentrates. We do have we do have insurance. It, 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 no, no, no. no. <laughs> it also this also expedites the the, the curing process. Um, you want uh, a teaspoon for every five pounds of meat. So your average pork belly is going to be five pounds. So a cup of salt, a cup of sugar, a teaspoon of pink salt. Then you want probably two tablespoons of crushed juniper berries, uh, a couple of sprigs of thyme. So let's say two tablespoons of everything and you should be fine. Two ta- mm-hmm. Except for the pink salt. Two tablespoons. Put in whatever you want. Like I like juniper berries. I like garlic, crushed yeah, garlic. Yeah. I like uh, black pepper. So so then now we put in all the herbs and spices. You, you get and all the salt mixture. And- you rub it all over. your Pat your belly dry. You... you you can get a sheet tray or a large bag that will hold it like a two gallon Ziploc bag Mm -hmm. and you want to cover your pork belly and put it in this in this bag you probably have enough mixture if you're using a cup of salt and a cup of sugar with all the other aromatics to use only half of the curing mixture to cover it and you want to put it in the refrigerator and you evenly coat it and you want to turn it every other day so the mixture is being evenly distributed on this It'll leach out some water because the salt will leach out some of the water in the belly, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. If you see it getting dry, like uh, just wet, and you don't see the the curing mixture on it anymore, then take it out of the bag and apply more of your your curing mixture to it. Uh, You want to do this for, uh, there's not a solid time. A week is good. Uh, The more you don't want to over cure it, Uh, you don't want to under cure it. Uh, To check to see if it's done, you literally check it like a steak. So touch it in the middle, squeeze it, and it should feel feel like a medium well steak. Mm. So make sure to touch it while it's raw, and you'll see it's very squishy. And as it's being cured, it'll get stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. Uh, Medium well is about how you want your bacon to feel. If you want to just take a time frame, then do uh, do a week. A week should cover you, eight days will definitely do you, nine days will do you. Uh, I wouldn't really go longer than that because then you're starting to over cure your bacon and you're gonna have a really salty product. Um, do it for seven to nine days. Uh, the, it's all gonna come, you know, how fat your belly is. All that's gonna come into determination. So check it. Make sure it feels like a medium well steak. Take it out. Rinse off your mixture. You want to pat it dry, and then it's time to smoke. Uh, most people have access to a gas uh, to a grill. And if you have access to a grill, you can make a hot smoker by Creating a fire on one side and then drown it in soaked wood chips or whatever uh, to kind of get those embers and get that smoke. Uh, that's a hot smoker. Ideally, you would want to cold smoke it because you can put more cold, you can put more smoke on it without cooking your product. Um, if you cold smoke it, you essentially the same thing. If you have enough space, you can put a sheet tray of ice underneath it and have you know your fire off to the side and you create the smoke cover your whole thing, and you want to smoke it for about six hours if you're cold smoking it. In and out, in and out. Um, if you're hot smoking it, probably about 180 degrees, get your smoker. If you have a smoker, hot smoke it for about three and a half hours at 180 degrees, and you're going to be fine. Cold smoke is a little bit more difficult because you have to pay attention. Um, and it's a more lengthy process, but you can cold smoke it for, for days. If you have access to that kind of equipment or mm. that kind of knowledge to do, you can look up how to do a cold smoker. It's a lengthy process, or you could buy one, or you could, yeah. But I like cold smoking because it it, uh, it imparts a lot of smoke on it. And so after you pat it dry, I mix the entire th- I mix the entire part. You have to rub it down in your sugary pro- product, be it black molasses, brown sugar, whatever it is, coat the entire belly in in your brown sugar or your black molasses or your mixture of both and then you smoke it. If you hot smoke it or cold smoke it, uh, you just want to do it to 155 degrees. If it's cold smoke, you just want to do it for an extremely long time. Hmm. Then you have bacon.
1: Well, uh, I've got my work cut out for me, it sounds like, if we're gonna make bacon. And uh, we'll try to put uh, put the recipe, at least, and uh, maybe re- there must be uh, other you know official sources for bacon making, making recipes we can, sure sure we can find and we'll put that well we're going to close the show today with uh, we're going to we're going to get more high toned um, I'm going to read a poem and uh, the author should be fairly obvious the the poem is called Hog Killing on the Santee River 1983 and it's based it is, it is a literal description of a botched hog killing done by a doctor friend. The hog, he finally understands the day that he runs out of friends. Raised like a pet and called by name, he grunted each time Miss Jean came, remembering immortal slops of potato peels and turnip tops. And if he did break out and roam... Trotted after Doc all the way home, back down the rutted road that winds between the salt marsh and the pines. Tamer than any hunting dog, the wise domesticated hog. For lunch we needed knife nor fork. Jean served us everything but pork, shrimp perlo, cornbread, pinto beans, hot oyster stew, and turnip greens. We sit there acting like we're poor, drinking sweet wine from Bob Graham's store. The garnet foam spilled on my shirt, already bloodied in the dirt. The first hog had been killed at nine. It took till lunch to scrape the rind and jig the flesh into ribs and chops, trapezoids of triceratops. The hog no longer seems to know his lord from whom all blessings flow. A stranger now to all he knew, his eyes cross on the twenty-two. Doc slips his finger onto the trigger why don't you go get something bigger? At least take my old 30-06. No, he tells me. One of the tricks old-timers have. Between the eyes and up, you find a spot. Surprise. The first shot kicks him in the air. He squeals, for the first time aware of what all that kindness meant. The blood baptizes Doc, and it takes a good three shots more and another pair of hands, like at the county fair with a greased pig before he's down. Two men to hold him, one last round, to put an end to joy, to fear. My share was in exchange for beer, homemade of hops and barley, pure. The bacon tastes of pig manure, and although we froze it right away, the chops still savor of decay. The old folks also said, be neat, you kill him quick or spoil the meat. You've got one shot to do it right, or ever after taste his fright. The penalty for those who think too much is that they smell the stink. The only way this life will work is raise the pig, but eat the pork.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Tom and Garrett's Bacon Talk. Tune in for more exciting issues of The Best Revenge at www.fleming.foundation. As always, we encourage comments. While we're up north, we're fortunate enough to hear some loon song, and I'll leave you with some of that. But by the way, no loon jokes.